think a lot of people just need to be more more manual with their thinking as opposed to being on autopilot and their confidence will come out and they much more like if they pay attention to what they're thinking and they recognize oh these are just thoughts right like i assume can you predict your next thought negative right so where are they coming from you're not creating them. you're just kind of fielding them right mm. and i think a lot of people look at their thoughts as this blueprint for what they need to do right like somebody who wants to quit smoking like man i need to get a cigarette that's not you that's just your brain saying i need this 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 receptor or whatever i need this this dopamine this serotonin i think a lot of people are much more confident than they realize they just don't trust themselves Welcome to another episode of the Wholesale Elite Podcast. I am Aisham Hipsher, and I'm joined by my dude, Tanner Santucci. What up, sir? What's up, man? It's going to be a good one. I'm excited for it. Yeah. So, guys, Noah Wallen, welcome to the Wholesale Elite Podcast, brother. How are you, man? I'm doing well. Thank you guys for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's funny. Your video froze for a little bit, and I was like, oh, no. Oh. Guys, if you uh, if you haven't you know, seen or heard of Noah's name yet, uh, it's probably for a good reason. And uh, that reason is because Noah is fairly new to the wholesaling game. And so we're going to we're going to talk to Noah and, uh, and and learn a little bit about his journey. Um, and every now and again, it's good to get a, a, a newer person on um, on the, the pod just because it's good to get their insight. It's good to hear what's happening from the perspective of a person who, if you're new, is like you, you know, um, the good thing is, is Noah's done some deals. Um, and so we get to dive into his mind a little bit and learn, you know, what it took uh, to get those deals done. You know, how long did it, you know, did it take? What was your, what were your, your thoughts, you know, going into all this stuff? And so we are going to break it down. Um, but Noah, say what's up, say what's up to the family, and then we're gonna dive in, bro. We're gonna what dive is up, in. Full swing elite family. I'm happy to be here. Um, I just want to say shout out to Greg Santana. That is my man. That man has helped me get into this game and kind of, you know, figure out my way through all the ups and downs. So I just want to shout him out real quick. Absolutely. Absolutely. Greg Santana has been on the show too. So guys, you, you've got to go back. Greg is one of the guys with the biggest hearts uh, in our business. He is, and he's, he's, he's got crazy energy. Um, and so, yeah, you got to go back and listen to it because he, he dropped some gems on his episode. So please go check that out, Greg Santana. But Noah, I want to, I want to learn more about you, man, because, you know, prior to this podcast, we were just on, you know, a few minutes prior to this and, uh, and I got to learn a little bit, but I still don't, you know, I, I don't know a lot about you. I know you and Tanner have, have worked together. So I, before we find out about your real estate background, uh, Talk, talk to us the, about your, your personal background. What's your origin story? Where are you from? How did this gentleman, this handsome gentleman that's on the screen, uh, uh, get, get, to, get to being on the screen right now? Give us that background. Yeah, so I'm originally from Indiana, the greatest state in all 50 of them, the brightest, best weather. Um, I that, but all right, yeah. go ahead. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I was born and raised in Indiana. Um, my parents divorced when I was three, so I kind of had, you know, kind of a split upbringing. My mom lived in Fishers, which is kind of an affluent suburb. And my dad lived up in Lafayette, which is much more of like a, a manufacturing town. Um, I spent the majority of my time in Fishers. Um, and we weren't, I don't want to say we, we definitely weren't poor, um, but we were raised around a bunch of, you know, upper middle class people. And we were definitely, you know, lower to lucky to be, we're like breaking the middle class barrier, you know. Right, we had, right. We had the car in the house. We had the dream. Nice. Yeah. 
So it was, I got into wholesaling all off of social media, to be honest, right when, right when COVID happened, I saw people online posting, you know, I think it was Kong. You guys know who I'm talking about? Kong. Yeah. yeah. I think it was Kong to be honest with you. Cause I had TikTok at the time. I think I was maybe 18 and I just saw this guy who was super loud. who just kept saying, you know, we got to get to this money, baby. And he would post like a $30,000 check. And I was like, what is this dude doing? And that's, that's really when my love affair with wholesaling started. Um, it took me a couple How years. How old were you? 18. You were 18, so fresh out of high school. Yeah, so actually COVID happened halfway through my senior year. So that March, um, they stopped sending us to school. And it was kind of like an early summer. And I, I, think COVID ha- I think COVID actually helped a lot of people really find out what they wanted to do with their lives. Because sure. it broke up you know, the mundanity of what they were normally doing, what their plans were. I was originally planning on going to Indiana University to study business and do the, the very normal white guy thing, which is just like, go get a finance degree and hope that that gets you a job somewhere notable. Um, and it kind of woke me up from a, from a, a hypnotic trance. And I started to realize like, oh, wow, you know, they're talking about a bunch of people dying. Um, how true that was, we don't know. But they were talking about all this stuff happening. And you kind of realize like, wow, I really only get one of these lives. Like, I might want to figure out what I actually want to do instead of just sleepwalking through you know, every single facet of my life. So that's really when I started waking up. And I think a lot of people when they're young, they want to make money, right? And I think we were taught, especially in society, it's, hey, go get a good job, you know, go get a great degree, right? Get that shiny plaque up on the wall, and then you'll be able to, you know, make 50, 60 grand, and you'll work your way up. And hopefully 10 years from now, you make $100,000, you'll have that, you know, that lease beamer, and, you know, great. So I kind of fell into that trap. But once COVID happened, it really woke me up to like, hey, what do I actually want to do? I found a lot of self-development kind of stuff. I, I was going through some personal stuff um, during that period, and it really helped me find myself and find out what I wanted to do with my life. And financial freedom was definitely a, a huge facet of that. Interesting. Okay. So so you're 18. Did you have siblings? Yeah, I have one sister. She's three years my, my senior. Okay, three years your senior, meaning she's older? I'm not that she's, smart. Yeah, she's older. Is that an Indiana term or what? It is, yeah. It actually is. Okay. My my people are from Indiana, Tanner. Chill. My <laughs> people are from they're from New Albany. Tanner has um, guys over here too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. That's, that's right. his market. So okay, so you've got a sister. What's your sister do? My sister is currently a grad student. She is going to Liberty University to become like a therapist pretty much. Okay, perfect. Now was there pressure from your parents to go to college? I wouldn't I wouldn't really note it as pressure, much more of just like this is the expectation, right? It's not like, hey, it it just really wasn't presented as a choice. The same way going, getting up every day and going to high school wasn't really a choice, right? It's just kind of like, hey, you're expected to be there. It was always one of those things where it's like, hey, go get your degree and then you can do whatever you want, but you have to get your degree. Um, And so I did my first, I did my first year online. Um, I actually did my first semester and then I ended up dropping out because I got recruited and started modeling and I started traveling around the country and I realized, wow, I'm making more money modeling than what I would be um, actually with this degree four years sure, from sure. And I was taking out student loans to be there and I just was kind of like, okay, I'm just gonna call it, I'll pay off the student loans, whatever. And I just wanted to you know, go chase the modeling dream at that point. Okay, how long did you model for? I modeled for a little over two years, yeah. Oh, wow, okay. Um, my best friend, he, he modeled back in the day, back when we were teens as well um, for Irene Marie back in the day. And I remember that I remember just going along with him and being like, dude, this is so cool. How did you like your modeling career? 
I really enjoyed it for the first little bit. I will say, like once you get your your first taste of you know the big lights. Like I walked a couple fashion weeks, and I've done a handful of editorials and some you know some clothing brand stuff, and it was super cool. The pay was great. Um, I'm trying to think how to word it correctly. It's just a very interesting industry. You know, you don't really make money based off of how good you are at something. It's much more off of like what other people's opinion of you is, mm. and they almost expect you to change other people's opinions of you through various ways. Now, I would imagine being a young guy, you know, um, especially, you know, you're younger, you're in the modeling career where everything's about the look and all that. Um, there, there's a lot of pressure on, you know, uh, just just others' expectations, right? Fulfilling right. others' expectations of your looks, of, of all that stuff. And being a young person, it's really easy to give in to the expectations of others. Mm -hmm. Why do you think you're different? Hmm. That's a really good question, actually. Um, I like that. I think it's genuinely because I've seen a lot of people's a lot of people's worldview shatter in real time, right? Especially with COVID. But just throughout right. my entire life, I've seen people say they're going to do something and not do it. Or the one person who was counted out, you know, have the heroic journey. And I guess I, I learned really early on that everything isn't always, you know, the way that it seems. And so once I learned that and I started to really look around and realize, okay, our parents are just people. They're just grown up babies, right? They've had their life experiences that have taken them to here. And if I want to be exactly where they are, I should take their advice, right? And when I started looking at other people through that lens, as opposed to just absorbing other people's thoughts, ideas, and opinions of me and what I should do through the lens of, do I want to like trade places with this person in whatever area? So say if it's somebody who has been divorced twice and they're super unhappy in their relationship currently, and I'm like, hey, I don't think I want to get married yet. They're like, but you're young, you should just get married, right? I then judge it against, okay, do I want to trade places with you? Same sure. when it comes to finances, where it's like, I'll talk to people who absolutely hated their job, you know, we're working 16 hours a day and would tell me, hey, follow my footsteps, go get a degree and go work for a great company. I just, I saw that as a death trap and I really realized like, hey, everybody has opinions. You know, my, my dad has a famous quote, shout out Andy. He says, uh, opinions are like assholes. Everybody has one. I'm sure that's a famous quote. And Not they all stink. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. I, I, I like that. Uh, I like that quote. Shout out to uh, Andy. Um, well, dude, that, that, that's, that's fascinating that you, you know, you're, it seems like you're already kind of coming into this world, uh, with a different mindset at a young age. And for anyone who, that, that, you know, maybe some of your peers that are out there that are, you know, you're, you're, you're similar age. Yeah. Um, but you know, maybe they don't, um, maybe they don't have, you know, the background that you do or whatnot. Have you ever come across a situation like that where there's someone who's who's similar, right? Similar age, similar desires and whatnot, but maybe they just don't have that hustle. Have you come across that yet? Yes, countless times. Okay. What, what's your advice to those people? A lot of times it's hard to give those people advice without shoving a check in their face, hmm. right? And nobody wants to do that. Nobody wants to be like, hey, look, what I'm doing is working. You know, nobody wants to be that guy, especially, I don't know if it's, you know, you know, where you guys are from as well. But Indiana is very small town vibes, right? Like the guy who makes money, he never says why he makes money. He hides his money. It's like the, the miserly, right? Like mm. they, they drive a crappy car. It's the whole like millionaire next door mindset. And anybody who drives a nicer car, even if it's like a lease or buys a bigger house, it's like, well, he's just insecure or he, you know, doesn't feel good about himself. So that's why he has to flaunt his money. 
right? And so a lot of times when I talk to people, there will just be kind of like a cognitive dissonance where their mindset is just still stuck in what their parents told them when they were nine. Like, hey, you need to go to school. You have to get a degree. And if you actually want to make real money, then go take out, you know, $200,000 more and go to grad school. That's when you'll really start making the real money. They didn't tell you that, you know, you'll really start making the real money once you have eight years of education. And so a lot of people I'm around, especially in real estate, I was telling Tanner before we got on, um, a lot of people where I'm from want to get into real estate. They don't know how, and they almost look down on, you know, traditional wholesaling, fix and flip, buy and hold. They don't think it's flashy. Um, so they're like, what can I put in my LinkedIn bio? What do I say? You know, I can't say I'm a wholesaler and be, have everybody in my family reunion clap for me and be like, wow, you're really doing it. You know, they, so it's not about the money as much as it is about status. And that's kind of what I realized when I've talked to a lot of people is they're much more worried about what other people think about them than the life that they genuinely want to live. And I think that in order to live the life that you want to live, regardless of money, status, whatever, you kind of have to let go of the, you know, perceived perceptions of other people. You know, mm. I can go on this podcast and say, you know, I should and Tanner think X of me, but do I really know? No, mm. but it just creates this like ego construct of how I'm going to act towards you because of how, like the preconceived notion that I think you have of me. Like it's not real in the first place, you know? That's so good. I have, so I good. have, I have a story real quick and it's not really yep. a story, but it's something yeah, I heard yeah. on a podcast on an Alex Ramosi podcast. Yeah. Um, and it's super relative to exactly what you're talking about. Um, and Alex Ramosi, you know, asked the interviewer or whatever, um, you know who the Queen of England was, right? Everyone knows who Queen Elizabeth or whatever that just passed away, you know, last year, whatever it was. Yeah. And he goes, she was wealthier than 99.9% of the world, one of the most successful people in the history of the world, right? She was a woman monarch or emperor, whatever they call them. Yeah. Um, she ruled for like 70 years. Like everyone knew who Queen Elizabeth was, right? Um, and the point that he made was he tweeted about it six months after she passed. And he basically said, who, who thought of Queen Elizabeth today prior to this tweet after she's been dead? One of the most successful people in the world, in the history yeah. of the world, right? right? And the point of it being is Alex even proved, he goes, everyone knows who she is, but yet everyone forgot about her six months after her death. He right. goes, so stop caring about what other people think of you. Stop, stop living in the fear of, oh, what's someone gonna think of me because I do X, Y, Z, just do mm-hmm. it. Because at the end of the day, when we die, they may miss us for a week, they may miss us for a month, but six months, they're most likely gonna forget about you. And he was like, so take that with you. And he was like, that's how I live every day. He thinks of death. And most people, death is scary. But to Alex Ramosi, death is what motivates him because he goes, I know I'm gonna die at some point. And he's like, I could die tomorrow and be happy because I've busted my ass up until this point and people are going to forget about me anyways. I don't care what people think. So um, I had to throw that in there because I thought what you were saying was on point. It's like the, it's like the stoic ideal, you know, like the memento mori, like, remember you will die, you know, how Mm. many people have that padded and actually forget that it's there. You know, it's like, it's the irony, like Sam Zell, I don't know if you guys are familiar, like one of the most successful real estate investors of all time. He just passed this past month. And I've watched, I don't know, countless hours of Sam Zell interviews. Like, He's just, he's hilarious. His, like his, his, his coming up story is absolutely amazing. And what he, what he did is just so admirable. And I genuinely respect all that he did. And I went to go look up like his current holdings or something. I don't know. I was, I was just late one night going down a rabbit hole. Just like, I wonder what he's doing right now. And I saw he had passed and there's all these like wall street journal articles that are like Sam Zell's died. Like this guy's worth, I don't know, 
multiple billions of dollars. And I've watched a ton of this dude's interviews. And I didn't even realize he had died until a month had passed, right? And I haven't thought of him until I just brought that up. And so mm. Powerful. Man, th- yeah, those are all excellent points to consider. I mean, so good. So good. I, I, I don't want to, you know, dive into that anymore, but it's it's very true and very real. You know, our existence is very temporary. So, uh, you know, d- don't don't overthink all that you're doing. Just go for it. You yeah. know, <laughs> just go for it. Like, what do you got to lose? So that that's amazing. Um, great insight uh, for, for from you, Noel. No, you seem like a a, a well-read guy. You know, what I mean, you seem up up on uh, personal development. You're dropping names out of here. You know about stoicism. Are you into personal development at all? Yes, definitely. What's 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 a book? What's one of your most recommended books, and and why? Mm. That's a great question. Hmm. I don't know. I went through, I've gone through a phase for like the past two and a half years where I've read a book a week. And ever since the beginning of this year, I kind of doubled it because audiobooks and I, I speak really fast so I can hear people um, talk fast. So I listen to audiobooks on like 2x speed or on Spotify, the three and a half X. So I get through books really quickly w- with being able to retain them. So there's so many books that I've read, especially recently. Like I just read Be Obsessed or Be Average by Grant Cardone. And I've never read any Grant Cardone books. I just consumed a lot of his podcasts. And I think he really hits the nail on the head of what addictive personalities are. And I started to identify as that because I've looked back in my past and I do things that were destructive, but I do them over and over and over again because it's like you get this dopamine hit from doing the same mm. thing. And I started realizing all of my success comes from that same voice that a lot of people try to, you know, numb out when it comes to, you know, they'll drink it away on the weekends or they'll smoke it away on the evenings or they'll do anything that they possibly can to get away from that voice because it's taunting them and telling them that they need to do more. They're not doing enough, Right. And a lot of people can psychoanalyze that and say, oh, you know, you need to fix that. You need to go to the root of the trauma as opposed to just embracing it, being like, man, God gave me a wolf. You know, he gave me a wolf spirit to just push through and to just go devour anything I set my mind to. And once I really started to embrace that, that's when I started to see more success. That's when I got, you know, more introduced to people like Greg, Tanner. I mean, I could shout out Tanner for hours about how helpful he's been, you know, with all of our land stuff as well. So definitely, definitely be obsessed or be average. A, a more spiritual book, though. I think we could go through all the, you know, the normal ones, right? Like the thinking grow rich, you know, sure. the, seven, the seven laws of spiritual success or whatever. Um, but yeah, definitely that book has been a huge stand. I read that twice this past, this past month. That's awesome. Yeah. I haven't read any of Grant's books yet. Um, so, so thanks for, for, you know, reminding me and putting that, that back on the radar. Cause yeah. I mean, the guy's got some, he's, you, you can't, his experience is undeniable. Um, and so I, uh, yeah, th- thanks for that, dude. I, I'm curious what, um, What's something recently that you've done in real estate, in the world of real estate, that was out of your comfort zone? Okay. Uh, so actually the first deal I had ever done on my own, not under somebody else's structure where I was getting paid a commission or whatever, but on me on my own, you know, writing the, the original contract and, you know, JVing with Greg on it, the buyer walked in to the closing, right? Greg and I went, it was going to be my first closing. We were both super excited. Um, we walk into the title company, we meet the buyer, we get, you know, two separate rooms and the seller's in one room and we're there for about an hour. We're, we're chopping it up and we've made all the small talk we can possibly make with this, this buyer. Right. And the buyer also happened to bring one of his brokers who just so happened to not be getting paid on the, the transaction. He just brought him cause I guess he's his oversight committee. Right. And so we're sitting there, we're talking for probably an hour, an hour and a half. 
And the lady comes in and goes, hey, the seller's not here yet, right? And so we wait another hour. Hey, the seller's not here yet. So we're there for three hours in total. Finally, the seller shows up. The seller sits down, brings in a whole family with them to sell the house, right? The guy starts losing his mind. We hear people screaming in the other room, like super loud and obnoxious. And we were like, hey, what's going on? They say, apparently, the guy had a $30,000 mechanics lien put on the house from a contractor who said he hadn't been paid, right? The guy should have got a closing statement in his email, you know, a week prior to closing, but apparently the guy doesn't have an email. So we're, so we're sitting there waiting to close, right? I think we should have like one, it's now four o'clock. The, the title company closes at five. And this, this guy who's selling his house that's super stressed just starts cold calling lawyers. Like, hey, can I sell this and recoup the money? Can we go counter sue? What can we do? And none of the lawyers are taking the guy's call because he's not on retainer with anybody. Sure. And so we're sitting there and the, the broker starts whispering in our buyer's ear in another language, pretty much just saying, hey, you know, I think we should back out of this deal, right? I'll go find you a different deal. And he starts saying that in American as well. Like, hey, you know, I'll go, I'll go find out. Uh, I'll go find out about other deals. I've got some other stuff in the pipeline. You don't got to worry about this. Mind you, the guy already put EMD down. So it was a whole situation to where we waited. It got up to like 5.30. And the agent that I was working with directly, because I double dipped on the, the, the original contract, the agent I was working with directly came out and said, hey, they're signing, finally. It's been like four or five hours, right? Little did Greg and I know this buyer had been stewing in anger and was just getting super pissed off that he had to wait and started to get, quote, quote, bad juju about the deal, right? So right as the, the agent comes out for the seller and says, hey, he's going to sign, the, the buyer and the buyer's broker stand up and go, we're out. Bad juju on the deal, we're out. And Greg had left to go pick up um, his daughter. And so I'm sitting there alone. This is my first transaction, right? And I'm sitting there alone and I'm like, uh, he's like, I want my earnest money back. And he's speaking to me in like this real harsh accent. I want my earnest money back. Give me my earnest money back. And the agent's looking at me like, hey, I didn't even know you guys were wholesaling this thing, let alone <laughs> your buyer say it's bad to go the deal. I need to walk out. And I went and I called Greg. I was like, hey man, what do you want to do? And I think it's hilarious because Greg and I talk about it now. He's like, man, it was so easy to tell you to not give that guy his earnest money back from the car with him not like screaming in my face. Um, so I went back and I was like, hey, man, we can't give you the earnest money back. It was non-refundable when you wrote up the contract. And he's like, no, we don't do business this way. You know, you know, it's bad juju. You see why I won't buy it. Mind you, it was a smoking hot deal. We gave it to this guy for like a $7,000 discount from the original disco price we were asking. And I pretty much just had to stay on my ground, look this guy dead in the eyes of my first deal and be like, hey, look, you said you were going to buy this thing. Either you're going to buy it or you're going to forfeit the earnest money and all go resell it to somebody else. And I had to stand up in that moment and wear the big boy shoes and be like, hey, look, man, like, we're not fucking around. Like, there are people's, there's a lot of money on the table right here, right? Like, if you walk away, you're going to lose some. But we're still going to take this transaction and move forward. And the guy ended up walking out, trying to blow the whole thing up. Mind you, Greg had a second buyer waiting. And he's like, don't worry about it. You're still under contract. I called the agent. He's like, yep, it's all yours. And the agent kind of sat idly by waiting for, you know, me, because he's not going to go talk to a buyer that he's not representing. And he called me. He's like, man, I really, you know, I really applaud you for what you did. You stood your ground and you let that guy know. That guy called us at 7 p.m. saying, hey, I'll buy the deal. So we went back in the next day. So that was one of those times where it's kind of like, hey, are you going to bitch out and say, okay, cool. You know, this whole thing, this whole thing thing doesn't work. It's not just somebody cutting me a check that's super easy. I actually have to stand my ground. I actually have to go meet people in person. I actually have to, you know, use affirmative words and, you know, to get this thing done. So we got the deal to the finish line. It was a twelve thousand dollar deal. Greg and I split it down the middle. It was six thousand dollars. That was my first check, and we were off to the races ever since. Sick. Yeah. Now, at that point, how many deals had you done with other people's help under a system? 
So I originally started with with a mentor out of Seattle where I was pretty much in a cold calling position, like setting the appointments and then doing a little bit of underwriting. And I've done two deals with them. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So two deals that you had locked up went to right. the closing table, but you, you didn't really play any kind of a role. So this is like your first time essentially yeah. really doing this yeah, being and in that happened in person. Yeah. That's incredible. <laughs> it's hilarious. I was laughing all the way to the bank. Yeah, literally, dude. I, 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 I'd say, you know, you have a bright future here, but I'm no future, you know, future teller, fortune teller, whatever there is, but that's incredible, man, that you, uh, that you fought through that. I love, there's nothing more. I said this on a previous podcast. There's nothing more I love than being in an environment where I'm being forced to expand my comfort zone. I hated that at first. I hated that feeling. I hated the fear of, you know, oh, I've got to speak on stage, you know, or I've got to, you know, whatever it is when you have, when you know it's coming, but when you're just in the environment and it has to have, it's happening and you've got to like fight your way out of it, that fight or flight, it, it proves to you what you're kind of made of and where you're at right now in life. And I love those situations, man. You, You know, one of the things that I'll be really quick, but one of the, one of the things that I, I truly enjoy the most about being out of my comfort zone is when you take that step that you can't go back from. Right. Cause everything up to that point is just, it's scary. You know, it's, you've got the anxiety, you've got all that stuff, you know, walking, you know, when you're sitting in the car and you got to go knock on that door, you know, that sucks. Everything sucks. Everything walking towards the door. It's scary. Everything sucks. And then you knock. Once you knock, you can't take that back. Like it's done. Like I'm addicted to that feeling, that knock, you know, when you're, when you're about to jump, you're the first person to jump in a pool, a cold pool and, you know, walking and putting your shorts on. You're like, Oh, this is going to suck. Walking out and feeling the cold air. You're like, Oh, this is going to suck, but you can still back out. Right. Right. It's when you jump in the air off the diving board and you're about to hit that pool. You haven't hit it yet, but there's no turning back. I love that feeling. So um, I love that you were you were at the closing table and shit went south and you had to figure it out because man that, that it grew you like crazy it had to have. I give a lot of credit to boxing. I started boxing two years ago, and the first time I ever sparred, my coach whooped my ass for three rounds. I didn't throw a single punch back, and he was kind of like, "You're embarrassing yourself. What are you doing here? Like, are you <laughs> beat you up like this?" And it was a super humbling experience because I lift weights and stuff, and I just figured, "Oh, I'm a big guy. I could probably beat somebody up." And ever since I like started sparring, you know, quite regularly, it made me confront fear, you know, on a, on a semi-regular basis to where it's like, I don't want to fight this dude that's two inches taller than me and 40 pounds heavier than me, but that's who my coach has me sparring today. Right. Absolutely. This kid, this kid hits the bag and it sounds like whips and he's 170 pounds. <laughs> you know, he's a golden blood champ. I don't want to fight this kid, but I have no choice. I showed up, you know, my shoes are on, my wraps are on, my gloves are on and boom, the bell just rung. It's like, what are you going to do? So I completely understand. I love that feeling as well, where it's like, you, you become present, not in some Zen moment, you know, in some peaceful garden. You become Zen in the middle of the war. You realize, okay, I'm here right now. What can I do? You know, yeah. what, what can I do right here, right now with this? I love it. I love it. No, I, I got, well, I've got a few more questions, but I've got one more question that I, I, I want to uh, give Tanner an opportunity to, to talk about some stuff as well. But I mean, you, you seem to have a lot going for you, dude. You're, you're, you know, you're, you're in your teens still. You're a good looking guy. Um, you're in America, you're wholesaling real estate. You got a lot going on for you. Um, what, what, this is a question that I've asked before, but it's, it's one of my favorite questions, but what, what, 
what's a criticism or an insult or something that you've heard about yourself that is actually, you know, you see it as one of your greatest strengths? I think it's a combination of a you talk too much i got that a lot when i was younger i don't get that that much now but more recently it's been you're thinking too big mm. i love to hear that every time i hear that it just it fuels my fire where i'm like damn i really need a 10x again like if i'm like man <laughs> i want to i want to make 10 grand this month and then somebody's like dude why aren't you happy with like making you know four thousand or five thousand like doing one of these deals where you could just jv is super easy you know why aren't you just happy with that you know, why do you, why do you feel the need to make 10? I'm like, dude, I want to make a hundred this month, you know, and just 10 Xing that I feel like that has been a superpower. And also talking to people has created so many networking opportunities, right? Like Greg introduced me to Tanner. I just immediately sent him a text. I'm like, Hey, give me your number. And I started calling this dude, reaching out to this guy. Right. And he's provided so much value to me. And especially in my business, like moving towards land, he's been super helpful to me. And I feel like so many people would be in their head like, oh, this guy runs online with Aisha. They're on the whole single league podcast, a bunch of G's, you know, I don't want to talk to these guys. They're going to, they're going to think I don't know enough. Right. But I go in there and I just call them up. And I'm like, Hey dude, I know you see what, what you see in you, you see in me, you know, help sow a seed. Right. And mm. Tanner's so I appreciate that. Mm. Dude, cool. that's amazing. You know, I, I'm sorry, Tanner, just, just one, no, one more, one more curiosity because what I'm noticing, Noah, from you is uh, almost an innate confidence. Like right. you're confident, dude. You and and I think that you know a big part of of being successful in real estate is confidence. You know, confidence in yourself, confidence in knowing your numbers, your ability to uh, uh, to be able to get the deal done. Your, you know, what I mean, your con honesty, your confidence in yourself, and, and the value that you're bringing to the table. There's a lot of confidence that, that's involved. Um, but again, you seem more innately confident. Have you always been this way throughout your life or has it been scenarios that you can kind of think back that, that you've gone through that, that have helped you increase your confidence? I definitely think that I've always been, I know for a fact, I've always been innately confident. I've always just known like, Hey, I'll go up and say, what's up to that girl. I'll go talk to the, the big guy at the party. Right. I'll actually go insert myself in a place where there's genuine risk to see if I can push it the extra step, right. To see if I can actually get the result I want. And I will separate anxiety and confidence though. I feel like a lot of people take their anxiety as, as like they're unconfident, right. As opposed to them just neglecting mm. intrusive thoughts, right. Mm. Like that, that day where that buyer's freaking out in my face and I'm talking to Greg and Greg's like, Hey, you have to go give this guy the bad news. They're like, Hey, you're losing your earnest money and you got to buy this deal. That's not a great feeling. Right. And I can be as innately confident as I need to be in that moment. But that doesn't stop the thoughts of like, you don't know this guy, you don't know what you're doing. All the negative ego thoughts that come in. Like, I think a lot of people just need to be more, more manual with their thinking as opposed to being on autopilot and their confidence will come out innately much more like if they pay attention to what they're thinking and they recognize, Oh, these are just thoughts, right? Like I assume, can you predict your next thought? Negative. Right. So where are they coming from? You're not creating them. You're just kind of fielding them. Right. Mm. And I think a lot of people look at their thoughts as this blueprint for what they need to do. Right. Like somebody who wants to quit smoking. It's like, man, I need to get a cigarette. That's not you. That's just your brain saying, I need this, this, this receptor or whatever. I need this, this dopamine or the serotonin. I think a lot of people are much more confident than they realize they just don't trust themselves and they don't mm. trust themselves to silence voices or go against their own voices. Right. Cause that creates the whole you versus you. 
right? Like all these voices in your head that are saying you're not good enough, right? Why why would you make that call to that agent? Why would you why would you even try? You're not good enough. And if you talk to that agent, they're gonna know this is the one I get all the time from people who ask for help at wholesaling. They're gonna know I don't know anything. They're gonna know I haven't done a single deal. They're gonna know I don't have the hundred and fifty thousand that I'm offering them cash in thirty days. They're gonna admit, like if I talk to this buyer and I say, Yeah, I've wholesaled a bunch, you know, I've been doing this for as long as I can remember, they're gonna know I have no idea what I'm talking to or what I'm talking about. When I call up these builders, right? And I say, Yeah, what kind of lot do you want? Where are you looking to build? I do this all the time for other other people, right? They're they're gonna know. That is a fear that stops so many people. And I wish people could just recognize those thoughts aren't them. They are the doer. They are the being that actually goes out and makes the calls, has the conversations, builds the relationship. Not the thoughts in their head that are saying whether or not they're crazy. Man, that's good, dude. That's good. Tanner, what you got? What you got from Mr. Noah Wallen? Dude, I got a lot. First of all, um, <laughs> shout out to you for dropping some heat. <laughs> um, some absolute really. heat, uh, throughout the entire episode. So, um, I do want to ask you though, um, since you are a younger, newer entrepreneur, um, fresh in the game, what are some of the biggest challenges you have, um, or that you've found, um, in pursuing entrepreneurship? I think the first one that I've just recently got over is accepting that you're worth the money. And accepting that it doesn't need mm. to fade away, right? Mm. How many people do we know that were this one-time big shot entrepreneur, right? In two thousand three, and they had the two thousand four BMW, right? And then they lost it all, and now they they live their normal life. And then when you say you want to be an entrepreneur, they're like, "Enjoy while it lasts, kid." You know, I've gotten mm. that from so many family members when I pull up, like, "Oh yeah, we just made twenty one thousand dollars on this deal." They're like, "Enjoy it while it lasts," and that that mentality, I think, is the hardest thing to break because a lot of people will get a ten thousand dollar check. Or a twenty thousand dollar check, or even a three or four thousand dollar check when they're used to eight hundred bucks every two weeks, and they'll go, "A, am I worth this money? And B, is this the last of this money I'm ever going to get?" And I think those are the two thoughts that you really have to beat. And once you recognize, like, "Hey, I like we had the second deal I ever did. Uh, the seller lived in one side, um, and it was they inherited it, right? So the mother lived in one side that had passed, and the sellers, um, the husband and the wife, lived on the other side." The mother passed and the daughter inherited but the daughter had cancer neither of them had a job and neither of them had insurance right and so they reached out to an agent um, to sell the property and they were like hey she's gonna die she we need the money to go to the hospital right and she's gonna die and the agent called me and was like hey noah you've done deals you know it was the guy the the agent for the first deal i ever did um and he was like hey you stood up to that buyer i know you can get this deal done can you help me like i need to get this deal closed as soon as possible this girl's genuinely sick and I was like, of course, we underwrote it. We sent somebody out that day to get a contract signed and we immediately sold it. And we made $20,000 on that deal, right? And so in the beginning, I was like, man, do I deserve this money? Should I just help them for free? Should I have just assigned it and try to get them the most money humanly possible and taking my assignment fee to nothing? But when we closed and you could see the look of relief on their face, like, wow, because I think we, we bought it for 85,000. We have $85,000 in cash that we can go and take to try to keep my wife alive. I don't think wholesalers realize how much value they genuinely provide in the market, right? We, you know, all three of us know because we make calls to agents. We talk to buyers, we talk to builders. We know people that are actually working in this industry, but not a lot of agents know what they're doing, right? And so when somebody, and that's not a diss on agents, that's just genuinely like a lot of them are just as experienced as me, right? Where they've done four, five, six deals and they haven't run into a plethora of experiences where they can learn, oh, okay, this is how I handle this. Right. And I think if wholesalers knew 
just like I should have said, that knock on the door, no matter how scary that is, you don't know if 30 days from now at the closing table, when they get that big bag of cash, what kind of an impact that's going to have on your life. Because you look at it and you're like, man, what would I do with 80 grand? Because you're financially minded or you're entrepreneurially minded. Would I invest it into marketing? Would I hire a VA? You know, how much of this is going to go to taxes? These people are genuinely in a life or death situation and they need that money. And I feel like that just creates this whole service to others, which just opens up this whole other path of motivation. That's awesome. And that's deep. Um, but that's a good response to that. And so that kind of leads me into my next question. Um, so because, you know, you, you've had some wins, some success in residential real estate. Right. Um, sounds like you have a good grasp on what's going on, right? You, you've closed deals, you've made money, um, you understand the process. Yeah. So for those that don't know, Noah is slowly getting into land, which is what Aishim and I do. Yeah. Um, that's hey. what our company does. And so, no, I want to ask why transition or at least why add land into your business? Um, is there anything specific? Yeah. So I think that's a really good question. And I'll answer it by saying, go on YouTube right now and look up how to wholesale houses, right? You're going to be, you're going to be smacked with a million people trying to sell you a course, a million people trying to say, here's my $30,000 mentorship, right? Or you're going to just see walkthrough videos, right? Like you're, I learned how to wholesale off of watching Jamil's videos. Genuinely, Same. you have those hour long, you know, watch me underwrite straight out of Convent videos or, you know, the, the Benson and Privy videos where I saw Ryan Zola making offers. I learned how to wholesale by spending 10 hours a day watching those videos and just writing scripts based off of that, practicing it, and then going and like pretending I was Ryan Zola or pretending I was Jamil, right? And that's how I got my first deal. So with that being said, anybody can get into wholesaling real estate. People have, that have never done a deal don't realize that. They see all the barriers and the limiting beliefs of them themselves. But genuinely, all three of us know, anybody could wholesale a house. Anybody could, right? But when I go to try to learn land, what comes up, right? I got, we got grounded now, thank, thank, you know, thank God for you guys. But we've had grounded for what, the past three weeks? Other than yeah. that, we got a bunch of people saying, hey, I'm gonna flip rural land. This is how I send out my mail. Here's my land offer letter, right? And I need 2,500 bucks of upfront mail costs. But nobody talks about it and i genuinely see such a niche where i watch my mom just buy uh, a lot because she's going to build you know her forever home up in south carolina and i watched her go through that process and i was like wow there is a market for this and it's not being taught and it's not being sold and how many times have we all made offers to somebody where it's like oh i'm offering you 50 an investor came and offered 70 and then it turns out it was a wholesaler that locked it up way too high that didn't know what they were doing right and you didn't follow up and so they ended up selling for 45 right that doesn't really happen in land. Right. You're, you're kind of the only one reaching out to these sellers. And if you're not, then there's like two other people. It's not like when you call somebody and say, hey, you know, are you looking to sell one, two, three Main Street? And they say, you're the 30th person that's called, you know, and they assume you're all from the same company somehow. And they're yeah. like, you're the 30th person that's called, you know, lose my fucking number. It, but when I call on land, they're like, oh yeah, I do own that lot. And it's so <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's... Oh, sorry, I can go ahead. No, no, please. So you see, you see it as an opportunity. There's, there's no long-term angle. You just see it as a, a great opportunity where there's a need in the marketplace. So I definitely agree with your perspective. I don't know if you shared it publicly, but that you you have zero intentions of fixing it. You guys want to develop, right? And so you guys have created the, the builder-based offer as opposed to just the 10% or 20% of a new build, um, which a lot of people use, you know. Um, <laughs> but I think that 
resembles me much more, but I don't want to come out publicly and be like, I'm going to be a developer, right? Because I know you guys, and I know for a fact that five years from now, you guys will be building. You guys will be, you know, creating these ginormous structures that are just amazing, you know, doing everything you guys need to do in the development space. Whereas me, if I build out a business in wholesome land, I don't want to commit myself to say, okay, well, I'm going to go become a developer because a developer is almost like a lifelong thing, right? And it takes a, it takes a minute to go from, you know, unwind to Don Peebles, you know, but you guys will get there. Absolutely. I don't want to come out now and be like, hey, my name's Noah. I've done five deals. I'm going to be Don Peebles this week, right? <laughs> Huh. That's actually a really good answer. And I was, I, I was not expecting that. Um, and this sense, but it's good. It's good. Actual. I'm glad you said that for the audience. Um, because I have, it, I have a question for you guys. Oh, please. Let's so go. where, where in your guys's like wholesaling journey, did you realize, like, I, I know that for me, there was a click where I started seeing land as an opportunity. I didn't just go driving for dollars and pass up land. I started seeing it. And in my mind, it clicked like, oh my gosh, dollar signs, right? The same way we look at a distressed house for the first time after watching a Max Maxwell video. Like, where did it click for you guys? Like, wow, I can do this and nobody else is doing it. Yes, uh, I'll make it real short. And then I can give his answer as two cents as well, because I know... Um, Mine won't be short. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, well, there you go. Um, but mine was actually, it's funny because it kind of happened by accident. Um, I, I always wanted, to, when I got into real estate and got into wholesaling, um, I knew that long-term I didn't want to just wholesale forever um, because it is a hustle. Um, you know, for, for those that are newer, you understand that you get in, you wholesale a deal and you start right back over. Right. So you're just, you're constantly looking for the next deal. Um, and I didn't want that. And so just over time, um, wholesaling property, fix and flipping just never appealed to me either. Like, I don't care about what HGTV shows. Um, there, I just, there's always something more. My, you know, I just wanted a lot in life. And so um, it kind of happened by accident. Um, there was a wholesaler that um, I, I was doing Indianapolis market and I was dabbling in Florida at the time. This is over a year ago. And there's a wholesaler that I ran into and he was doing land. Um, he had just started the little bit I know. I mean, he's, he's closing big deals in the market. Um, he was coming to me and saying, hey, land the move, land the move. I'm here how much I made. He made like six figures in less than six months um, wholesaling land. And I'm out here grinding, you know, closing a month or two or a month or one a deal or two a month. Wow. Holy crap. Um, you know, making decent money, but not like that. And so... Just over time, realized that I want to do builder. I want to develop. Um, there's, there's more of an impact I can make on a community and, and, and people by building housing and, and building development and um, a legacy play rather than just fixing and flipping. Because I always like to ask wholesalers this: um, Can you name a fixing fix and flip company in your, your market? You probably can't, because no one knows it's just a fix and flip company, right? So it's more of a hobby for most people. I didn't want a hobby. I wanted a business and I wanted a, a career and a legacy. And so development um, fit those needs um, for myself. And obviously when me and Aishram partnered up, um, just by the grace of God, we had the same vision. And so with that, I think that's a perfect transition. Aishram. <laughs> well, um, shout out to your mic for, uh, for coming up from underwater. Cause it was, it was sounding weird for a minute oh, there. I know you don't know it. Tanner. Oh, was it? Oh, is it better? Yeah. Now? <laughs> yeah, it's good. Out. Like, yeah, at the end of your of, of your explanation, yeah, it cleared up. Um, 
Land, land, the land pivot for me, you know, it was, it was kind of like, you know, when you go into something, you have like this haze and then as, the more you're doing it, the more the haze strips away and you can remember kind of ultimately why you're doing what you're doing. Well, I, I read Rich Dad Poor Dad a long time ago. And so I had, I had wanted to get into real estate for the longest time. Right. And the word real estate itself is so vague. Um, but that's what I told people. I want to get into real estate. In my head, though, I wanted to. But so I lived in an area where it was kind of I, I grew up on the wrong side of the tracks, if you will. But on the other side of the tracks was like milk, the land of milk and honey. So imagine I, I wish I mean, for, for for reference, you know, just imagine living on, you know, just the regular podunk side of town. There's train tracks and you go to the other side and that's where like starbucks and chick-fil-a and like nice stuff <laughs> we didn't have that on my my side of the tracks so anytime i i you know ventured over into the land of where i wasn't supposed to be i was just greeted with all this opulence and success and stuff that i never saw before and i was like look at these big buildings and these big construction projects and this is so cool and and I was like, man, then I read the book and I learned that I can get into real estate. I'm like, I can do that stuff. Like I thought it required a college degree or smarts. And, you know, I, I had no clue. I, you don't know what you don't know. Um, and so then I go through life 30 years later, whatever it is, I finally get into real estate. And so I'm doing it right. I, I, I get in, I get my entry point, but I got the haze over my eyes. You know, I remember telling myself I wanted to get into real estate, but that was it. You know, I just had this haze. And so I'm just kind of grasping, like, what can I do in real estate? And I learned about wholesaling. I'm like, oh, this is great because my wife's active duty Air Force. We move around all the time. I, I thought that doing real estate, you had to live in a certain area. But then I learned about wholesaling. I'm like, I can do this virtually. I'm like, oh, that's that's mine. Let's do this. So I was I was literally just grasping at opportunity, right? So I got in, made some money. First deal, I made like 10 grand on the first few weeks in. I'm like, okay, cool. This thing works. It's real. Started doing more deals. I met Tanner. Tanner and I started doing deals. Tanner tells me about this guy that is crushing it in land who started after him. Started after him and he's made like double what Tanner's made doing land. And I've never been a greed person or money person or like, I'm going to go do what makes me the most money. I always do what I, what, what I like. And so I was like, Oh, good for him. There's nothing sexy about land. Land sounds boring as hell to me. Like, thanks, but no thanks. I've, I like Tanner or unlike Tanner, I guess you say I was inspired by the HGTV shows. Like I loved flip or flop. I loved, um, what was it with chip and chip and Joanna, Joanna. whatever that yeah, whatever that show was. I loved all that. Like, oh my God, that's all I wanted to do was what those guys were doing. But then when Tanner told me about the land, something gave me the ability, thank God, to take a step back and actually consider it. So I'm like, okay, this guy's making money in land. What's this land stuff all about? And the more questions we asked, the more the haze was removed. And I remembered being that kid again who wanted to grow, who wanted to, to build and develop, to have that, that, that lifestyle, to have that, that, the opulence, to have all that stuff. Like it was like an aha moment. And I was like, Oh my God, if we get really good at land, 
we can dominate the development side of the house. Like if we just really, I'm, I don't mean get good at land. I mean, like we have a business that that's churning us land opportunities that we can just build on and we can cherry pick just like a flip, you know, a flipper who has a wholesaling business can cherry pick their houses that they want to flip and everything else they could sell. We can do the same thing for land. Um, and so then the vision grew with what are we going to do with our land company? And so that that's that was my story on on pivoting to land and, and why we did it. It wasn't because it was easier. It wasn't because it was less competitive. Matter of fact, we found out, yes, it is less competitive, but it's for a reason. You know, there's not a lot of help. So out true. There. <laughs> there's not a lot of guidance on how to evaluate, a, you know, a lot. For, 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 for single family, you know, uh, residents, you know, there's appraisers, these people that go to school, I, I would imagine it requires some sort of school or licensing or something to be able to tell you how to, you know, properly value a house. But for land, there's no, it's just, it's what, it's worth whatever someone's willing to pay. So how do you systematize that? How do you, how can you build a system around uh, evaluating land? when it's not, it's not in existence. So I was, I was so fascinated by that, that Tanner and I decided to start a company around it. And, you know, now we've got a company, we're about to bring on our, you know, our fifth person and, and things are growing and, and it's doing well, but it's not easy. It's not easy. It's definitely not uh, sexy. It's, it's hard as hell. It's really hard, but man, is it rewarding? You know, yes, you don't have to deal with, was it toilets, termites and tenants or something like that. Um, but you have to deal with, non-motivated people who have been sitting on their land for years and years and years and and your offer is less than what it says on zillow so <laughs> so that's fine but anyways i digress enough about me Noah. we're here to talk about you dude um and we dude we we've learned a lot Noah. thank you for for turning the interview on us i think you're the first person who's ever asked us the question yep uh, in our interview. Um, I'm going to ask you this kind of in closing, man, what, what's a current challenge that you're facing in your business right now? Okay. You guys will understand this, like this kind of analogy. I really am looking to create levers, right? So I want to be able to know if I spend a dollar on text, how many leads will I get back? Or if I spend a dollar on, you know, skip tracing and the time, not only just the cost, right. But the time of cold calling, or God forbid sending mail, right? Like I want to have a lever to where I know, hey, if I put, you know, $5,000 into this, this month, it'll bring me four deals. And my average deal size is, you know, 10 grand or my average deal size is 15 grand or eight grand. It doesn't matter. I want to create some kind of a systemization process to where I have mm -hmm. a lever that I can pull. And with land, I've, I've been able to do that in a lot more efficient way than with houses. Because how many people do we know that start with houses and it's like, I got my prop stream list, I got badge dialer and I'm ready to call, right? And then they call and they get hit with the, you know, you're the 30th person that's called me. And it just destroys all of their hope and ambition. Whereas with land, I'll go out and, you know, the way, the way Tanner's taught me the GIS, you know, to go driving for dollars on the GIS virtually, I'll go out and, you know, pull 400 leads, I'll export the data, I'll skip trace it, I'll send text and I'll get 10 or 15 people back you know, eight of them will be at three times, you know, what Zillow says. And then the other two will say, screw off. Right. And then there might be one other person that's like, I don't know what's your offer. Right. So for me, it's about how do I get more data? How do I increase the top of the funnel? That's why I started this call off with, with Tanner. I was like, Hey, have you ever heard of data tree? Cause I keep hearing people bring up data tree as a, as a popular list source for land. Cause I've used PropStream to pull lists. 
and a lot of them are already built. Like you guys said on the, the first Grounded episode, it's like all these leads are super outdated, right? Where batch is just, they don't have APN numbers, right? And so I'm trying to find a way to pull more leads in less amount of time. Because for every hour I spend driving for dollars on um, the GIS, I probably get, you know, maybe 50 to 70 leads. And that is not a super great use of my time. Right. And so I'm trying to figure a way to optimize the top of the funnel. I've gotten my texting down. I've built out my REI reply to the point where I'm getting favorable responses. I understand the majority of the underwriting portion. And if I don't, I call Tanner, right? And he, you know, helps illuminate the way. But I guess it's just finding a way to get more leads to reach out to that don't take my manual time. Yeah. And you're, you're tracking KPIs right now? Yeah. What KPIs are you tracking? So it's typically like anywhere from 50 to 100 texts every single day because they're new leads. So for a while I was trying to get, you know, four or 500 leads in a week, but now I'm just going out at night, getting, you know, going and canvassing one specific area. Like whether it's, say it's like the north side of Indy, right? Like Kennedy King or whatever, right? I go in, I find out where all the new builds are. I'll go scope out where all these lots are at. And you know how it is, you get, you get a box with five streets vertically and maybe eight streets, you know, horizontally. And maybe I get 60 lots that are individual owned they aren't zoned anything other than residential. And I skip trace the list and I get 90% of those results back. I'll text those people every day. So I'm adding 40 or 50 people into the pipeline every day, but Indy's kind of small and I'm running out of areas to go churn over. And it feels, you feel almost schizophrenic going back through the driving for dollars, you know, looking in the same area you look for, trying to find, you know, one, you're like, oh, I didn't get that one, you know? Sure, sure. Yeah. I mean, we, we can definitely add some value to this, but we'll probably do that offline just yeah. to, just to save, save the ears of the listeners. Um, but that, that's really, that's really good insight. Um, okay. So my, my last question, um, and, and I, I, okay. So let me clear the state or set the stage. All right, Noah, you are, you, all eyes are on you. I mean, you're standing at the Washington monument and, all the news cameras are pointed at you. You've got a big microphone. Everyone has just dumped their money into just saying that Noah Wallen is about to give us a message, guys. He's got something to say. Um, I want to know, you know, you step up there. Everyone's listening, all ears. What is your current message to the world? Your identity is flexible. You know, you're not you're not beholden to the past, and you're not beholden to any future ideals that you that you have of yourself or that other people may have of you. Um, the same way, say Aisham, you go get a job as a CIA agent. When you go into a room full of CIA agents, you start introducing yourself. Hey, I'm Aisham. I'm the CIA agent, right? Because somebody has validated that identity that you have. Whereas when you show up now, hey, I'm Aisham, co-founder of Unwind Investments, and you explain that whole process. All it took was your self-belief that you are who you say you are. For you to show up in alignment and fully act as that person right mm, and i think sure. a lot of people need to know that i think people need to realize i can be anything i want to be it's not just your mom saying you can be anything you want to be to you know be all lovey and cuddly to you i'm saying your identity is transient it is flexible and you can you can create whatever you want oh it's so good and when you believe it other people will believe it yeah right? the they won't believe it until you do Man, another another one I'd say is there's a quote by Neville Goddard, who's one of my favorite one of my favorite authors. He says, "Everyone is you pushed out, right?" And so the perfect example of that is like if I got on this call and I'm like, "Hey guys, I've closed 
five deals. It's not as many as Jamil, but I've closed five deals. You guys can be like, who is this kid? This dude has no idea what he's talking about. Why the hell is he on the show? Right. Whereas if I show up, I'm like, hey, guys, I want to learn. You know, I'm, I'm open. I'm all ears. Teach me, you know, and I'll talk about my success. I'll give guidance to people younger than me, people that are trying to start. It, it comes off in a different way. And you guys respond to me, not off of your, of your notions of me. If that makes sense. Absolutely. Well, dude. My goodness, I, I did not plan on this thing going an hour long. I thought this was going to be a short one, but Noah, you've got some gems, my brother, and holy shit, is your future bright in real estate. I, I can't wait to see where you're going to take it. Um, I hope, I don't know what it's going to take, but maybe we can wrangle you and convince you to, to join our team because I love your energy and I would love to, uh, to be able to pour into that and learn from you. But man, guys, okay, so Noah, like, it's you're you confused the hell out of me so probably the audience as well are you still in single family like can people work with you can people send you deals in, in indie or what, what's your deal how can people work with you yeah so if you have deals in indianapolis whether it's land um single family or even multifamily, i have you know a couple of people i'll pass multifamily deals off to um to help kind of structure stuff or even seller finance sub two stuff right i went through and, and kind of learned that whole process as well so if you have any single family deal in Indianapolis, send it to me. I'll help you underwrite. I'll help you kind of position yourself in the acquisition process. And then we have either Greg or Tanner to, to handle dispo on our side. So if you have a deal, it will get sold and you will get paid. So feel free to reach out to me. My Instagram is at Noah Wallen, N-O-A-H-W-A-L-L-E-N. Feel free to send me a DM, whatever. Reach is out. that how you prefer them to send you deals is, is through IG? Yeah. So if you have something, just send me a DM. If you have a genuine, like if you have a general question and you just want to, you know, ask me something, send me a DM. If you have an actual deal, send me a DM. I'll get you my phone number and we'll, we'll talk. Perfect. Perfect. Man. All right. Well, Noah, guys. I have, I have, actually, I have one question for you guys. One more oh, before. please. Shoot. Go for it. So I kind of want to turn on you. Not in the, not in the sense of the, the whole, like if the whole world's watching, but if you could tell yourself, the one who heard about the one who saw the Kong video that's like, you know, let's get to this money, baby. And you click like, okay, I can make money in real estate. What would you go say to that person to like destroy any fear, destroy any inaction, destroy any laziness? What would you do? What, like, what would you say to that person? I should a, person a person or myself? I mean, I'd say yourself because I feel like that's much more personalized and it's probably more accurate as well. I'm trying to think because when I, man, I was excited. There, there wasn't, there wasn't any fear. And I think that, that, that's a big part of it. I, I really do think that that's, it's literally why, why we started this podcast. Um, because I knew nothing right going into it. I did my first deal and I did it fairly quickly. And then I joined like a mentorship and I started hearing all these stories of, of frustration for people being in six months, nine months, 10 months, two months with no deal. And I'm like, what? what's the focus on your first deal? Like, oh my goodness. Like people were so laser focused on that. And I'm like, I had that shit done like two, three deals ago. Um, but then I realized it's because everyone's focusing on their first deal. Like they had this weird pressure. They give themselves some bullshit timeline. That's just like, uh, yeah, I'll do it in two months or this person did it. So like, you don't have their same story that they had, you know, the person Anyone who hears my story and compares themselves to me and, and walks away feeling less, please understand. Yes, I did my first deal in a week or two. Um, 
But understand that I was 42 and I had done probably, gosh, I don't know. I, I mean, thousands and thousands and thousands of hours on, on phone calls. I had been rejected. I had been fired. I had been like, I had lived so much life experience that my life experience, I brought that with my desire to be successful in real estate to the table. And I was just going to go hard no matter what. The first deal was just, it wasn't a matter. There, there was no thought of when. It was just the thought of, okay, I'm going to do this until I figure it out. And once I figure it out, I'm going to, you know, take the lessons and, okay, cool. I got it done. You know, uh, I got it done now move on. And then when I moved on, I moved into the world. I realized, oh, there's people struggling about their first deal. What is it? I realized it was their mindset. hundred percent, the mindset, hundred thousand percent, their mindset. Most people had a fearful mindset going into this or a scarcity mindset. What if I don't, what if this happens? Thinking all these negative things, right? You know, when I had zero of that. And so then I asked myself, how do I get people to, you know, if someone were to ask me, hey, Aisham, how'd you do it? I couldn't tell them. Well, I had, you know, 20 years of, of call experience and I was in sales and I was in management and I had all this stuff. So good luck because it's not the truth. There's people who are way more successful than I am at a younger age that didn't live that life. So what was it? What was it? It's the mindset. So then we started a podcast because we didn't want to talk tactics. We don't want to talk to, okay, so what kind of contract did you use? Okay, so was it an ovation or uh, none of that? I don't care about any of that. All I wanted to do was ask people, what made you successful? That's why all the questions I asked you, Noah, was I wanted to climb into your mind because I'm fascinated. There's a young guy. I wasn't like you when I was your age. I'm like, I'm trying to like hook up with girls and like money was not my, like, at all you know my future wasn't in my thoughts at all um so like i'm fascinated by what makes you you um and so i would just say to anyone who you know had fear watching that kong video or whatever think about those fears you know really think about them and really dive in and and, and settle with yourself why you have those because I guarantee you, you're not going to have any success until you do that. When we, we, you know, astro flipping is a part of, is a community that we're a part of. And this community is phenomenal. I mean, it really is. It really is phenomenal. I don't want to sound like a, uh, a, you know, cultish type person or anything. It's just not, I'm not one of those people that likes to, you know, be like, oh, my group is the best. Um, but it really is full of just big hearted, kind hearted people. And when I joined astro, I didn't know join. I joined Astro to get the system. I'm sorry, I'm not. I'm taking a long time, but I joined Astro to get the system because I'm like, okay, I got my first deal. Let me get the system so I can learn how to duplicate it and do more. And then I, you know, I joined. And I was like, okay, it's a six week program. I'm gonna go through all six weeks of these courses just to learn some of this stuff that I really was trying to figure out on the fly, like title companies and all this other stuff. The very first week of the six weeks was all mindset. I mean, I left that first week just crying like a baby because I now I now have an understanding of why I do what I do. I have an understanding of, of the, the issue of, of the I now know that the trauma that happened to me when I was a kid, I drug that shit along with me my whole life. And now it's showing up again. And when I went to fix that, it changed everything else. So, guys, everything is in between your head. It's all mindset all mindset and 
Remember what Tanner said earlier. Doesn't matter. It's a beautiful part. So all you got to do is work on you and understand that no one else matters. Because even if you can become more successful than the Queen of England, where, you know, arguably she's helped more people than probably any of us ever have um, or was in the position to, she's forgotten. She's forgotten. So it doesn't matter. Get your mind right. Go make your money. Go set your family up and enjoy your lifestyle. That's what I would, I would tell that person to focus on. Yeah, and I'll, I'll, I'll keep mine super short. Which <laughs> is, uh, I won't go into that longer. Uh, but mine would just be that just understand that everyone else in this business doesn't know. You probably know just as much when you're starting. I, wa I was that person that watched all the YouTube videos, that listened to all the podcasts. And then you make pick up the phone to talk to agents, talk to builders, talk to buyers, whoever. Um, and you have that expectation in your mind. Oh, they know so much. They know everything. Like they're so much smarter than me. Um, but in the reality, by being in the business, you know, you learn really quickly that they know just as much as you. They will end up at an agent that you think knows all, all end all be all of real estate will ask you the most basic question. Hey, how do you do this? What do you put on this contract? What And you're like, you've been doing this for 20 years. You should know. But that's what I would tell myself is, or at least knowing what I know now, that's the first thing is don't be scared to pick up the phone because everyone knows probably just as much as you do. Everyone's figuring it out as they go. Every, it doesn't matter what part of real estate they're in. Um, and so that's what I would tell myself. And yeah, that's that. <laughs> that was way quicker than mine. Gosh. Yeah, I don't have, you know, I don't, I keep it short and sweet. Greg gave me, Greg gave me an amazing perspective shift my first week. I got, uh, I set the intention in December. I was like, okay, enough. I had, I got hit by a semi and it totaled my car. I bought a, I bought a Mercedes with my modeling money because I was a genius, right? And I was like, this, this car is going to get me laid. It's going to be awesome, right? So I bought this car with all the money I had and it was making extremely high interest payments on it because I had no credit history, right? And I got hit by a semi and it was two days before I was supposed to fly to New York Fashion Week. And I realized in that moment, okay, there's no more money. All the money was going into the car. There's no more money. And I went into to Fashion Week and it cost me like two grand to be there. And they weren't paying me anything because they don't really pay you anything to do runway, right? I get cool pictures for Instagram and I get a bunch of people from my hometown that remember me as like the guy from high school reaching out like, oh my gosh, you're killing it, right? Literally not realizing you're losing money to be there. But I had the car accident happen and I realized, okay, all the knowledge that I've been acquiring, just watching Jerry Norton videos, watching Max Maxwell, listening to Jamil, right? I need to actually go out and use and make the money. And I set the intention and I called, I, I reached out to Jamil. Jamil gave me Greg's information and he said, hey, this guy's an indie, go team up with him. I reached out to Greg. Greg showed me how to underwrite. I'd call him, I don't know, I'd probably call him 50 times a day. No exaggeration, I'd probably call him 50 times a day. Hey, look at this lead. I'm about to call this agent. Here's the link. He'd be like, okay, cool. what the agent say? I'd be like, I don't know, I haven't called yet. Underwrite it for me, right? Like doing all the things ass backwards. But Greg told me, Noah, you are armed with more information than the majority of these agents. They are more afraid of you than you are of them. And once I made that mindset shift, I started seeing little ways in the mm. conversations with agents where they would ask me subconsciously, like, what do you think? Is that fair? Is that okay? Is this how you like it, right? And once I made that shift, I started to realize your knowledge is a weapon, but your applied knowledge is a bazooka. You actually have to go out and shoot the gun. You know what I mean? So that's, that's good. That's, that's awesome. 
<laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Noah Wallen. Noah, dude, you've been phenomenal, and uh, I'm so glad we connected. I, I I can't wait to connect even further. Um, like I said, we'll we'll you know we'll, we'll talk more about your uh, your situation um, a- after the the pod ends. But dude, I I can't wait to have you back on here. Um, you know, for for round two, just to get an update because it, it'll be really cool. Maybe we'll play a little clip of something that happened in round one and and. And, uh, and yeah, you know, and spice it up for the next one. But dude, it's been phenomenal. So guys, you know, on, on IG, look him up. He's at Noah Wallen. He's an indie. Send him your deals. Send him, you know, any single family, multifamily land. Noah knows what to do with it um, in Indy. And hopefully we can we could sneak them over to Florida, but we'll, we'll work on that. Maybe that'll be the update for the next one. But um, man, no, it's been real. Thank you so, so, so much for, for your time. And dude, you're, I, I, again, I cannot wait. So it's been, it's been a blast, brother. Thank you. Thank you guys. God bless you both. You know, I, I'm super excited to see what online does some Don people's type shit. You know, we got, we got 10 years and you guys are going to be magnets. It's going to be awesome. I'm looking forward to you guys. Well, guys, look, we want you and Noah's seat. We want you right where he's at. For real. Like, go out there and make it happen. I, we want to interview you. We want to find out. We, You've got a story. You, like, you really do. You've got a story that's going to help someone. I promise you, Noah may not know it, but he just told a story that is helping someone. Um, we get calls all the time, not calls, uh, we get texts and, and IG and comments and all that stuff all the time saying, oh my God, I just did a deal or I connected with this person. Thank you so much. Or man, that person shared the story and now this happened. Like that actually happens to us. We should start bringing these people on so people don't think I'm, I'm BSing, but we want you in the seat. And so go out there, make it happen. And we'll have you on the next episode of Wholesale Lead Podcast. Until then... Fan, that's a wrap for today's episode. But look, if you got value out of the show today, do us a huge favor and give us a review or give us a like or subscribe. Do all the things to help us get the word out there. And look, we want to see you on the next show. So get out there and crush it, make it happen. Stay tuned for the next episode. Peace.